Welcome to the Israel Government Press Office podcast, Beyond the News, where we talk about Israel, the Christian world, and anything in between. I'm Hadassah Schwartz. I'm a senior coordinator for International Religious Press here at the GPO. And I'm pleased to welcome as my guest today, a dear friend of Israel, the millennial evangelical business person and pastor, Johnny Moore. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Hadassah. Good to be with you. Johnny is best known for his religious freedom advocacy all around the world, and he is the recipient of many awards and honors for it, including the prestigious Medal of Valor from the Simon Wiesenthal Center in L.A. So he was actually twice appointed to the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom by the President of the United States. And he also served as the President of the Congress of Christian Leaders and serves on the Board of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Johnny, that is quite a long list of achievements and accomplishments you have there. But I would like to focus on one of them, one title, the title Millennial, okay? There aren't that many millennial Christian influencers and media personalities out there. Why do you think that is? You know, we're living in this world where communication is totally fragmented. And, you know, in, in my previous, you know, family's generations, my grandfather's and, you know, and my father's, I mean, you had a few Christian leaders that were sort of like the Christian leaders that everyone knew, you know, the Billy Grahams of a previous era. Uh, but I, I think because of social media, I, I think because of the sort of general digital age that we're living in, there are a lot more people with a lot smaller audiences. It's not per se that there are fewer millennial evangelical, say, influencers. It's just that there are uh, there are actually many more, but they speak to smaller audiences. We're gone is the era of the icons, you know, that mm-hmm. Billy Graham represents the Christian world. You know, the, the next generation is 10,000 smaller Billy Grahams with their niche. It's part of this great digital uh, disruption that, that we're experiencing. And in the end of the day, it also reaches many more audiences. You know, if you have smaller, but many more, you know, in the end of the day, you get to new target audiences you weren't planning on. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's an economist a few years ago who wrote a book called The Long Tail. And the whole point of the book was that on a bell curve, you know, everyone focuses on the, you know, the top of the curve. But his his argument was actually the largest audience or the most products sold or the most people reached is actually on the on the long tail. You know, it's the, the 10,000 leaders who speak to a thousand people every weekend, not the one person who speaks to speaks to millions of people. And, and by the way, there's an advantage to that because the trust gap between the person who speaks to millions of people is much more significant than the trust um, uh, gap between someone who's closer to their closer to their audience, closer to their generation, closer to their to their individual network. And those networks become networks. You know, and I, I always say that you know these days the most valuable commodity in the world is uh, it's not oil or gas, just despite everything that's in the news all the time, you know, yeah. just, despite the fixation of the Middle East uh, and, and of our own foreign policy here in the United States. But the most valuable commodity in the world is trust. And when you're trying to reach people, you have to reach more people. But when you reach those more people, you have a greater potency of trust because those leaders are closer to their that closer to their audiences. And so we, we've as a result, it's sort of an activist generation, right? Because it's not one person calling millions of people to do something. You know, it's it's tens of thousands of people calling a small group to do something. And if if I pick up and call my 10 closest friends and say, we this weekend, we need to go serve. We need to help our community or we need to get on an airplane and go somewhere or whatever. Then, you know, seven of my 10 friends will say, 
yeah, because you know I'm I'm closer to them. It's a little different than if one guy says to millions of people, "Hey, let's go." That's the old way of doing things from an, another time. It still works, um, but it doesn't work as well, and the culture significantly changing. That's that's very encouraging. On the one hand, I'm not going to say not. You know, it's, it's it's good news. It's good that that's the way it's happening these days, but. But let me challenge you with the, with this question. I mean, based on our recent study from the Pew Research Center, the numbers are looking pretty bleak for Christian millennials in, in America. I'm talking specifically about in, in the U.S. Um, and over the past decade, there's been a 12% decline in American adults who describe themselves as Christians. So, you know, within this decline, one of the most prominent dips was among millennials, which by nearly half of whom now identify themselves as non-religious altogether. So do you think this affects the overall Christian support of Israel? The answer is yes. And in short, also, yes, but let's... In, in, in short, yes. But, you know, it, it, as, as I used to tell my students at Liberty University, everything is always more complicated than it seems. And and I, I think uh, these, these statistics are more complicated than they seem immensely. You know, first of all, I do question some of the data. I question the way they ask uh, some of the questions and, you know, mm-hmm. all, all of these things. However, one cannot deny that there is a decline among millennials uh, in, in terms of their attachment to faith and among millennial evangelicals when it comes to the way they think about the, the way they think about Israel. That's Absolutely, absolutely true. Now, I think we have to be careful about exaggerating that. You know, when you're going from, say, 80% to 72%, it's a big difference than if you're going from, you know, 80% to 30% or 50% to 20%. However, you know, the trajectory is moving in the wrong direction. But they're two different problems. Like, you know, why are millennials less Christian? And then, and then separately, you know, why do they feel differently about Israel? Some of them than their than their parents. It's two separate problems. But in the end of the day, I would say they are kind of linked together because you know a lot of the 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 Christian support of Israel is is faith based. So so it is it does have some sort of link together. A hundred percent, they they totally intersect because believing Christians devout Christians who take the Bible seriously and believe in the promises of of the Bible generally support Israel and Mm -hmm. the Jewish people more broadly. That is absolutely the case. And so as people start feeling differently about the Bible, you know, part of the challenge is I I think when people are trying to bridge this gap, they they take an interfaith approach that takes people who are culturally religious, but not necessarily, you know, believers in the text and tries to motivate them. But what we've seen is like believing Christians are those who support Israel and uh, who feel good about the Jewish people more broadly speaking. So they absolutely intersect. But the question is, why is there a gap? Well, the reason, there are lots of reasons, but but one reason is millennials actually, despite the statistic about them becoming less religious, I, I think what they, more often the statistic is they're unaffiliated. Actually, it doesn't seem that millennials are less religious. It's just that they do their religion in a different way. They're anti-institutionalist. They're anti-power structure. They're anti, you know, all of these sort of um, cultural dynamics. So I think what we're finding is we're finding millennial evangelicals who they don't attach themselves to a denomination, but they absolutely are passionate about their faith. They're just not willing to take their parents or their grandparents' word for it. They have to have their own experience for themselves. Now, when it comes to Israel, what has often happened is our grandparents and then our parents pass down to us the miracle of the modern Jewish state, 
the love for Israel and for the Jewish people, it was passed down. And here comes this generation that says, okay, I'm not going to inherit all of these things. I need to understand them for myself. And if I can't understand them for myself, I'm going to go looking for beliefs in other places. So that's the negative side. The positive side is they are looking for it. And I think if they can find it, and sometimes it's not the message purely of the Bible, it's the miracle of the modern state of Israel. It's the innovation, you know, that comes from Israel's Silicon Valley. It's the humanitarian causes that Israel has directly or indirectly supported around the world. It's the fact that everyone has an iPhone that wouldn't work uh, if, if it wasn't, wasn't, for, right. wasn't for Israel. It's like all of these other points of connection. And as someone who works really hard at bringing Jews and Christians together, I think that that's really great because sometimes the relationships are, the, the biblical connection is certainly the strongest. If you're, you know, if you believe in these things, as I do, that's the strongest. But there are all kinds of ways to become friends. And, right. and if it's, if it's uh, Israel's tech sector that draws you, or if it's uh, history that draws you, or if it's the amazing peacemaking through strength, you know, that draws you, these are all points of connection, but they well, mean different things to different people. I would, I would just actually like to, to reference one little thing that you said. You said that, you know, the fact that up until now, you know, it was generational, passed on from, you know, from father to son, the love for Israel. And the fact that now the generation these days are, are looking for it is might be the negative side. I'd just like to propose, you know, another another way of looking at it. It might be actually positive because when you find something that you were looking for, or when you find something that you researched on your own, your belief is a lot stronger than when you were just heard something over and over again, just, you know, passing on in your family. So that's, that's another way to look at it. I'm just uh, putting it out there. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it's actually my experience. I mean, th- this is, this was my experience. Like I, yeah, I, I grew up as a, as a young Christian kid, sort of, you know, I, I love the Jewish people and I feel good about Israel. But then as I get older and I, I started asking all kinds of questions and looking into all kinds of things, and there were lots of other voices sort of coming at me because I was very involved in humanitarian causes around the world. And I started looking into it for myself. And the only thing that has happened is that my, my relationship theologically, biblically, and all of these other areas has deepened. And, and I think that will be the experience of many, many people in my generation and the generation to come after. Our parents' generation, especially our grandparents, they saw a miracle. In fact, if you talk to evangelicals who are in their like 80s now, few in their 90s, uh, I, I was visiting Israel with one one time, and he talked about his father bringing him to the radio to listen to the vote, I think, at the United Nations. And it, it was an amazing experience. And if you ask him, like, that was one of the only miracles he had seen in his entire life. That was the blessing of our grandparents' generation. But for us, we have to find it for, for ourselves. And I totally, totally agree. It is a much stronger connection when it's your connection, not your parents' or your grandparents' connection. The, the personal aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and also another thing you've said before that, you know, the numbers and, you know, the various research and, and studies that come out about in general, Christian millennials and the Christian uh, support of Israel, you said it's depending on how you, you know, measure the data and, you know, it could be uh, over dramatized. But one of the things that I've heard is that don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. It's not as bad as you say it is. But I would like to bring up another study that was done at the Tel Aviv University that 33% of young evangelicals declared their, their support of Israel. 
But, you know, they also found that this was a, a drop in from 69 percent uh, in 2018 of, of young evangelicals who supported Israel. So not to over dramatize anything, you know, and still talking about it and, and bringing it up because it is important to discuss. But these are pretty big numbers, despite how you end up measuring them. Yeah, I, I guess my perspective on that is the numbers are big, but the gap can quote close quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like matchmaking. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Israel and the evangelical you know, community and actually the broader believing Christian community around the world are sort of like made for each other. They just have to find each other. And unfortunately, those doing the introducing have been focused on I think a wonderful previous generation of pioneers. I don't I don't I mean to disparage them. But I think I think when most people think of Christian Zionists in Israel or in the United States, they're thinking of people who are uh, of the greatest. We call it the greatest generation. They're in their you know late seventies, their eighties, you know th- these sorts of things. There are a lot more of us from the uh, generations that are that are coming you know af- after all of them. And so yes, it is true the statistics are going in the wrong direction. But I am totally convinced that that gap will naturally start to close as Israel continues to to mature as the only democracy in the Middle East, as people begin to learn things, as we're seeing in politics in the in the United States, that the uh, while very, very loud and certainly there's a rise in anti-Semitism. Um, when it's all said and done, some of the only bipartisan moments in our country are around the United States support of Israel, for instance. I mean, when, you know, when terrorists in Gaza were flinging thousands and thousands of rockets into Israel, there were there was amazing, amazing political pressure to to sort of fragment Republicans and Democrats on that issue in the United States. And it was evangelicals, largely in the Republican Party, you know, and the vast majority of the Democratic Party that sort of like stood together and said, no, <laughs> that's this is not. And, and so in a very, very divided time in the United States of America, some of the only bipartisanship we see is around the amazing, amazing relationship our two countries share, you know, not to mention that our faiths share. And the other thing, too, is believing, and this is a little sensitive in my own community, but believing Christianity is growing. People who are sort of like culturally Christian is declining because they sort of like fade into the broader culture, you know, and in the meantime, I mean, the largest university in America, nonprofit university of America is still Liberty University, you know, Mm -hmm. totally Zionist Christian school, the largest churches in America aren't in in the deep south of the United States. They're in California, which is the most progressive state in the country with tens of thousands of people, but it takes time. So yes, the numbers are going in the wrong direction. It's a matter of concern, but I think that gap will naturally begin to close, but I think it can close much more quickly. Uh, We just have to do, have to do the work. But, but I have to say um, the COVID-19 pandemic has made that much more difficult because. Well, obviously it's, it's, it goes without saying, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic made everything harder, starting from, you know, tourism and meeting people, everything, you know, you can't get together like you used to. Yeah. I mean, and we basically lost, you know, two years of not thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of millions of people that going back and forth across the world, you know, that has to be made up for. It's like, if you, to use a business analogy, if you're not in the market, then the interest doesn't compound. You have to be in the market and you can't make up for the lost time, time very easily. And I think now it's on all of us, like Christians and Jews, Israelis and Americans, like all around the world. And not just us, by the way, this is the other part of it. 
all these statistics and surveys are principally, you know, related to the United States and evangelicals in the United States. But the fastest growing, largest evangelical movements in the, in, in the world are not in the United States. They're in Africa and South America and in Asia. And all of those numbers are going in the exact opposite direction. They're, they're sort of like having their first generation. Yeah, well, that's, that's encouraging to know, you know, but as the marketing slash, you know, business person, you said, on the one hand, it will close naturally. But on the other hand, is there room, you know, from a marketing perspective to go in there and do things? Of course there is. And by the way, it has to happen quickly. Okay. But I think new innovative thinking, intentional efforts to reach out to new generations, it's all there. It's all ready. The market is there. It's just that the market has to be paid attention to. And, and you know, and, and in Israel, all the incredible innovation that just comes from that country, blessing the entire world, needs to also be turned into this area and add all of that, all of the creativity and innovation, you have the raw material sitting there in this country that's knit into the heart of every Christian in some way, whether they know how to understand it or, or articulate it or not. But yeah, it's a, it's a wide open uh, opportunity. I'll tell you what, here's something that I actually heard from a Generation Z millennial acquaintance of mine. And she said that it's considered uh, condescending to talk about initiatives and ways to approach millennials on any topic. But when it comes to supporting Israel, let's say, and getting millennials to do so, do you think that actually is the case that they feel like there's some sort of like a condescending, like, oh, you should believe in that? Or it's just one person's feeling? People feel different ways, but it is a generation that has been marketed to death. And so this is where authenticity is really important, where it's all about trust. But as I said, it's like the seed, you know, is planted inside of everyone. It just needs to be, needs to be, be watered. Again, this was my experience. Like I grew up right at the beginning in college of this sort of taking for granted that Christians support Israel. And I was, uh, you know, I felt good about Israel and the Jewish people, but I, I was a little apathetic. It wasn't the top of my list. And then some people, I started getting to know some Jewish friends of mine. I went to Israel. I took students to Israel. I had a deeply powerful spiritual experience in Israel. And then I took it to another level. I started studying the Old Testament as a proud Christian with a proud Jewish rabbi. And the Hebrew Bible started to come alive to me. And all these things I didn't learn in seminary. I think the seed is there. It just has to be watered. And and smart, like you said, you have to know how to, yeah, and how it to market just all be about sec- It can't all be about security and certainly can't be about politics because we all hate politics. The primary narrative for uh, coming from Israel has often been a security narrative, justifiably so. But this is a generation that is wired towards humanitarian causes. The, the millennial generation, uh, until recently, has never known an America not at war with another country. The millennial generation went through multiple financial crises. Millennial generation went through, like all of us, once in a century pandemic. Okay, this is a generation that's just like done with crises and with conflict. And I think that the diversification of the beautiful, powerful stories coming from the Israeli story will be much more effective in reaching a new generation than exclusively a, a, a security narrative. 
That's actually a very interesting point you're putting out there. We actually had on this show, and you know, in a previous episode, we had the deputy director general of the Ministry of Tourism. So I think I think you guys can share a few. You know, he spoke about how to get to the to the millennials when it comes to the tourism aspect. But you have you definitely put out there some other points that are equally as important, and it's another way how to get to them in general about Israel. So thank you for that. But, you know, one good thing I actually I, I am happy about and I think that's also important to put out there is actually while I'm referencing referencing the, the study from the Tel Aviv University that I mentioned before is that regardless of the decline, which we spoke about, the decline of support, we, we spoke about 71 percent of young evangelicals feel that all of Jerusalem should be the capital of the state of Israel and, you know, it should not be shared and, you know, we also had the evangelical Christians who actually played a, ro- a huge role in, in moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, which, uh, you know, President Donald Trump said so himself. So, so that's some sort of like, I would say, a silver lining that despite, you know, some things that can be worked on, there's still, you know, the base, there's still the hardcore support of our friends that, that we feel on, on the day to day and in reality when things are happening because of it. Yeah. And this is the other side of being a blank slate and not having just an inherited system of beliefs because obvious things like, of course, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Like, why are we arguing about that? You know, it, you don't have the influence. It shouldn't even be that. a question. Yeah, it's just, you know, and unfortunately there is an enormous amount of irrationality that has influenced a lot of the politics uh, in, in the region for various, various reasons. And, and this, again, this is an advantage. This is the story of the Abraham Accords where, you know, everyone comes together in, including, you know, evangelicals, and says, like, why are we talking about all the things we can't do? You can't even have the conversation unless you start with this list of topics in this way. Sorry, that's not that's not what we're hearing from people. We're hearing that people just kind of want peace and they want to have a roof over their heads and an education for their children. And, and by the way, Christians who often traveled between Arab countries and between Israel, even though there wasn't traveling in between, our Arab friends would say one thing and our Israeli friends would say one thing. And they like kind of said the same thing. <laughs> it was, you know, I, and I, I think the advantage, the real advantage, and by the way, many of the enemies of Israel have realized this, you know, the real advantage of having a generation that isn't bound by the conventional wisdom and by the grievances of the past and all of these things is that they are a blank slate. And that could be used by people in uh, impure ways in order to advance a political agenda, or it can be used as a beautiful canvas to paint an amazing picture of the truth. And if you do it, then that generation will restart the the carrying on to subsequent generations. My kids, we have three kids. They talk about Israel. They love it. They've never even been to Israel. They was seeing a, a rabbi friend of mine who was visiting DC the other day, and they told me to tell the rabbi hi. <laughs> you know, oh, that's they, so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and that is the, that is the beautiful thing. Like it can be take take the blank slate and use it for good, because uh, there are plenty of people that want to use it for bad. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And with those beautiful words, we will end here. Thank you so much, Johnny Moore, for joining us today on today's episode, and uh, hope to have you here and see you here in Israel very soon. Thanks for having me.